0: Welcome to this Gift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. China had roughly 130 million outbound travelers last year. To put it in perspective, that's more than a third of the entire population of the United States, and the numbers only expected to grow. Add growing domestic tourism. And it's no wonder major players in the travel industry are clamoring for a piece of the market. On today's episode of this gift podcast, we're discussing Chinese travelers, what they want, who's trying to deliver it, and what it all means to the rest of the world. Joining us are Adam Goldstein, Chief Operating Officer and President of Royal Caribbean Cruises. The company is sending a brand new ship to Tianjin in June. It'll be the fifth Royal Caribbean ship based in China. We also have Michael Zakour, a consultant at Tompkins International here in New York, who co-authored the book, China's Super Consumers, What One Billion Customers Want and How to Sell It to Them. They're here with me, Skift podcast host, Hannah Sampson, and Skift editor, Andrew Shavakman. Thank you guys for joining us.
1: Pleasure. Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Michael, so if you can just sum up your book in a few sentences um, with a travel focus... What what do a billion customers want when it comes to vacation and leisure? Um, and how do travel companies sell it to them?
1: Well, what's interesting is as we've gone beyond the age of mass consumption in China to super consumption, um, where we have a middle class of 300 million Chinese that's set to double to 600 million in the next 10 years, um, these Chinese super consumers have taken on the love's And a lot of the same characteristics of the American super consumers of the post-World War II era and where they're really focused on spending their money on time or on two things, cars and car culture and travel. So much as uh, Americans went out and started traveling the world after World War II, um, Chinese who are newly wealthy and with disposable income have that same desire and impulse. And so, as you stated, about 130 million Chinese travelers outbound last year we're expecting that to be about 150 million this year the original projection was for 150 million by 2020 Um, we're expecting that to be closer to 200 million outbound Chinese travelers Um, and whereas they were traveling in the early days mostly to buy they are now traveling for experience as well and I think Um, Probably Royal Caribbean is, uh, you know, a big part of delivering that experience. It's not just about buying the bling, but seeing the world, being absorbed in it, experiencing luxury.
2: Um,
1: If I'm a hotel
2: company, airline or a cruise line, and I'm thinking about Chinese consumers, do I want to go to them or do I want them to come to me? Which is easier and more profitable? Adam?
3: Well, we've gone to them uh, because that's where the volume is. Uh, We are not at all opposed to having Chinese customers come across to the Caribbean or to Europe to cruise with us, but that's not where the action is. The action is helping Chinese begin their international travel lives by taking them from Shanghai or Tianjin or Hong Kong to Japan to Korea to Vietnam on four to six night cruises where they get to experience, let's say, one Korean port and two Japanese ports and we're doing this now for as an industry a million people last year but as i'm sure we'll talk about uh, a million out of 130 million doesn't seem so much but a million compared to zero 10 years before seems a lot
0: um michael do you have any thoughts on whether what makes the most sense um taking your product to china or taking china to your product elsewhere around the world
1: yeah well, i i think um The line between the two um, is not as clear as it used to be. So in the book, we talk about the global China consumer or the global China demographic. Um, And so travel and tourism, as well as retail and brands, need to harmonize their entire offering for a Chinese audience that's increasingly global. So they're traveling the world. They're educating their kids, 300,000 Chinese students studying in the U.S. every year. Um, investing abroad, um, investing in real estate abroad. This is a truly globally sophisticated traveling consumer now. And so you want to provide them with a global experience. So it may start with, you know, put them on a ship and take them around Um, you know, some, some uh, Asian ports, but eventually you want them to come to the Caribbean. You want them to come to the Mediterranean. And so if you look at a hotel chain like Marriott or Hilton, um, they're harmonizing their message and experience so that it feels and looks the same and caters to that traveler, whether they're in Paris, Hong Kong, Shanghai, or um, New York. Adam,
0: so your company started forgive the pun testing the waters in i think it was 2007 mm-hmm. with a ship yes um in in those years did you ever think that less than a decade later you would send not one but two of your newest ships there um and when did, when did that idea start to make sense
3: even in 2012 we would have regarded that idea as science fiction It was completely and totally beyond our comprehension that we would ever send a brand new ship there, never mind two now, on top of three others. So the market has developed at a pace and in a way that we didn't foresee when we put our toe in the waters almost 10 years ago, we really weren't sure what to expect. But one of the great things about our business is it's easy to experiment because the ships are mobile. And if you try a program and if it doesn't work, you move on to something else. But there was enough of a spark there in 07 and 08 to make us think, well, let's see, why don't we try a little bit more? And we built step-by-step up to today, we have many more customers coming from China In 2016, than the whole business had when I joined it in 1988. Um, Adam, how did you have to tailor
2: the product, if at all, to the Chinese market? And, you know, how do you figure out what you need to adjust? Are there some must-haves if you want to capture the audience? And are there things that just don't resonate, that might resonate with a Western
3: audience? So fundamentally, the Chinese love their cruise experience, as most people do and the ships are quite versatile in their ability to deliver different types of experiences. So when we say the Chinese, we're not talking about like some monolithic person, right? If you have grandparents, parents, and the child in a six plus one configuration, you need to cater to the interests of all three generations, which have different interests, whether they're they are all Chinese or even if they would be all American, it would be the same thing. Having said that, there, there are clearly cultural Differences and we need to respond to those. So, for example, our Chinese customers, to some degree, our Asian customers have considerably less interest in being out in the sun on pool deck than our Western guests. Uh, Being in the sun is not culturally something that's understood as attractive. Uh, People are very concerned about their skin darkening, for example in a way that we wouldn't see uh, typically with Westerners. The Chinese like to be where the action is. They're very prompt. If you tell them that a meal is starting at 1130, they're going to be there at 1130. And if they don't get served fairly quickly, they're going to move on to another restaurant to see if the service is faster. They're very much oriented toward shopping. Uh, more e- Even if they are beginning to broaden their experiential habits, they're still much more shopping centric than their Western counterparts are at this stage. Uh, They're somewhat more interested in gaming as well. And they're typically less interested in the Western spa experience. And they're typically much less likely to hang out at the bar.
0: Hmm. So, so the bar, the pool, the spa, all, they're all major parts of a Caribbean cruise, I would venture to say. Um, And, and the ship that you built, the new ship, Quantum of the Seas, that you sent there a couple of years ago—I don't think it was originally planned or designed for for China. So, did you did you have to reconfigure the um, way that the ship was laid out, or or just um, improvise? You know, on the way there.
3: So, the Quantum class of ships, of which the two newer ones are from that class, that are one in Shanghai, one in Tianjin. They were constructed not specifically for Caribbean cruising purposes the way, let's say, Oasis class was. So they were created with a lot more versatile and enclosed spaces to handle many different climate conditions, which suits very well for cruising out of either Shanghai Shanghai or Tianjin. So the fundamental footprint of the ship, despite the differences that I noted culturally, works. But on the way over with quantum and actually even with the voyager class ships that we sent there, voyager and mariner of the seas with all of these ships we have strengthened the retail offering we have introduced more uh, private gaming rooms because that's a part of the chinese taste for gaming as opposed to let's say banks of slot machines which is less the chinese taste for gaming and so we made tweaks but again the footprint of the ship is fundamentally attractive to to chinese as well as other guests
0: Michael, um so Adams company and competitors are all sending new ships to china u um, s hotel companies are expanding there. Disney has its Shanghai Park opening in june what's What's the appetite in in China for Western products and experiences when it comes to travel, and how important is it for there to be a balance between having that Western experience but also Cultural sensitivity and and catering to cultural tastes.
1: Sure, um, I think Disney is a is a good example. I um, last year I had a conversation with the um, CEO of Disney International, and uh, he told me about when they opened the Hong Kong park. They brought in all their best people, the Imagineers, the best supply chain people in the world. You know, they're able to calculate almost to the cup how many sodas they'll sell in a given restaurant. And they were highly confident uh, before they opened that they had it exactly right. And less than six months, they were hearing complaints from customers, from people who were there having the experience. And the complaints were largely, there's no place to eat, the lines are too long, Um, it's too crowded here, Uh, and they couldn't figure out where the problem was. Um, and when they stepped back for a moment and they looked at it, they made a few mistakes. They didn't account for how Chinese people want to experience a theme park. So what did they do? They had all their calculations for the restaurant, right? But what they didn't count on was a family of 12 would come in in the morning. They would plant themselves at a table in a restaurant and they would claim it for the day. And so they'd sit there, 12 people, and they'd said grandma and grandpa and uncle out for a couple rides. Then they'd come back, and then some other people would go out on some rides. So they had absolutely zero traffic flow in the restaurants. So all their calculations about traffic flow and supply chain were completely off. What they also didn't calculate was... um, There's a reference to the six plus one. We call it the six pocket syndrome, which is usually in the family, you have four grandparents and two parents whose sole focus is the happiness, well-being of the one child. These are the little princes and the little princesses. Um, So in the Disney parks in the US, the average family was 3.5 coming into the park. The average family coming into a Chinese park was 6.8. And so all of their calculations on how many people would be coming into the park were off. So two long lines, not enough places to eat. Even Disney got it wrong and Disney never gets it wrong. And so what they learned going into the Shanghai Disney is they've made a commitment not to export Disney to China, but to build the Chinese Disney. And it's a very... Um, you know, big shift in the way they're thinking. So they started from the ground up with the Chinese traveler in mind. And, and so when we look at companies in China, whether it's a brand, whether it's travel, it's retail, you know, in the book, we talk about your Chinification scale, right? And you can say on one end of the scale, you have companies who can go to China and change virtually nothing about their business model or their product offering and their pricing and it succeed, Starbucks, right? The perfect example. Um, China became Starbucks number two market in the world last year. They're planning on opening another 500 stores per year for the next 10 years. um, And they changed virtually nothing about their business. Other companies need to go to China and change almost everything about their business model, their marketing and their product offering to succeed. And so I think, you know, The same holds for travel and tourism, whether you're a hotel who's going to China, but really, you know, what are you doing as a retailer or a hotel or as a tourist board to accommodate the Chinese traveler who's coming to you?
3: If I could add on, I think a lot of it depends on what the Chinese perception is of the role of your brand in their life. Because with us, there is a very clear expectation on the part of our Chinese customers of a Western element if we would eliminate all Western ele- elements from our offering, they would walk away. They, because they think with their vacation dollars, they're investing in a prestigious Western brand cruise line. And it manifests itself in really interesting ways. Like for the most part, they would be, as far as I can tell, quite disappointed with us if the hotel director were not Western. Because in their mind, the state of the art in, in service delivery from prestigious Western operator would be that the hotel director would be Western. On the other hand, if we have too many Western chefs, then they will balk at that because to them that expresses that we're not going to be able to provide them with authentically Chinese food for them to consume. And we want them to experiment with Western cuisine. But if they aren't 100% confident that they can access their Chinese comfort foods and that they will be authentically prepared, we're going to have a problem. So they have certain ideas of where the signification should be visible and where it should not be there in order to be sort of content that they bought the right thing.
0: And is that something that you've been kind of tweaking or learning over time? Or is that something that even back in 2007, you... You had an idea of what the balance needed to be.
3: Well, not only have we been tweaking it over time, but interestingly, when we started the joint venture with Trip, that some people refer to as the Chinese version of Expedia to create SkySea, which started a year ago with uh, an, an older ship but debuting as SkySea. And a big part of our interest in the venture was to Augment our more Western offering of Royal Caribbean International with something that was more China centric, and with majority Chinese ownership in the venture and Sea Trip dealing, albeit transactionally, but nevertheless with like ten or twenty or thirty million Chinese customers or more per year, we figured they would kind of show how you would address a Chinese cruiser in a more Chinese way. And actually, what's happened is that they've they have. They have tweaked the product to be much more Western than we had anticipated that they would. And that's coming from the Chinese. That's not us telling them what to do. So, you know, getting this right, calibrating this right for your brand, your service, your product is a really interesting business challenge. Adam, I'm curious, you know, China's economy is still growing,
2: but the pace is slowing should this give travel companies pause? I think one of the benefits of being in the cruise industry is you can sail the ships elsewhere if there's a slowdown or create other products to reach other markets.
3: So we're not oblivious to the angst that is sort of suffusing the world about the rate or the declining rate of China's GDP growth. However, the 130 million outbound travelers from last year or 150 million from this year which is a number that we all expect to grow, as you heard earlier, that's the relevant market for us. And this is all so much in its infancy that even if the overall macroeconomic development of China is slower than they or we would like for it to be for the next five years, let's say, this outbound travel market is going to present opportunity to our company and to our sector. So just by way of comparison, about 3.5% of all U.S. citizens will take a cruise this year and about 4% of all Australians will take a cruise this year. Forget about the 90% of Chinese who aren't outbound travelers, just eliminate them from the consideration set and keep the 130 million outbound traveling people. We have a 1% share of that. So we don't even have a commensurate share of the people who are already traveling outbound. So again, I don't want to be complacent about what's going on with China's economic development and and the degree to which it may be slowing down. But we feel like there's a share opportunity for us within the outbound travel segment.
1: Yeah. And I think we need to um, keep in mind that decline or slowdown is relative. Um, China's economy is still expected to grow between 6.7 and 6.8% this year, which still makes it the envy of the world. Um, So slowdown is relative. Uh, Within that context, there has been absolutely no slowdown in consumer spending. And in fact, over the last three years, when things were quote unquote, slowing down, consumer spending is increased by close to 75%. So we're still seeing the continuation of the growth of the middle class, um, new consumers, millions of them coming online every day. Um, so this includes the travel, tourism, tourism, Car buying is up. I mean, GM sells more cars in China today than it does in the United States. So there may be relative areas of contraction or adjustment in the Chinese economy today. Um, But this is a natural result of the Chinese economy becoming the second largest in the world. Um, You can't be the second largest economy in the world and continue to grow at 12% a year. It's just impossible.
3: Well, another reason why we're generally optimistic is because we represent what the Chinese say they're trying to evolve to, which is a consumer-driven, services-led economy. And so while the overall growth may be in question at some level, the directionality of where they want that growth to be seems to be towards us, not away from us.
0: Can you guys talk a little bit about some of the challenges i guess for travel in china whether it's visas for outbound travel or the way that they tend to book travel um the their preference maybe for um doing so many things online are there are there ways that adam you've had to adjust or michael that companies have had to adjust um the way that they market to chinese travelers keeping all those things in mind
1: well, or are you referring to travel within China or outbound specifically well
0: for the visas definitely outbound
1: right so um last year uh the US and China um, committed to a reciprocal uh, visa program where i'm very happy to say i got my first 10-year visa which um a up probably there knows, yeah, you know well. the well, annual right. dread of having to deal with getting your visa renewed for china um to have that taken away for 10 years is is a wonderful gift um and and so they have that same opportunity so i think um to that point The 13th five-year plan, which has just been released, reinforces what the 12th five-year plan said five years ago, which is that we want to move in China a significant proportion of our GDP and our economic growth to consumerism, domestic consumption, and services. And so where you're seeing the easing of rules and regulations, especially in travel and being able to move abroad, um, it's getting easier, not harder. Um, within China itself, you know, we talk for a minute about travel within China, um, twice a year, China experiences the largest, um, migration travel movement on earth. If we deal with the spring festival for a moment, um, Chinese new year, as we call it, uh, usually in January, February, something around 700 million Chinese people travel, um, they're going to their hometowns. They're going on vacations. An increasing number of them are choosing to spend that week abroad um, going to Japan. Um, so during this last year's period, 850,000 Chinese travelers went to Japan. And during that one week, they spent $900 million. And China's G, excuse me, Japan's GDP actually went up 0.1% in that one week because of the Chinese travelers. And so now you're talking about 700 million people moving to and fro within China and about another 10 million traveling outside of China just in that one week. So again, this comes back to this theme of, you know, how do you think about it from a holistic point of view? And how do you create a holistic environment for them to be able to engage your brand and engage your service, whether it's gonna be in Japan for this holiday or during the October holiday, it might be within China river cruises might be something you know Royal Caribbean could look to in the future um, you know it's it's the bigger picture so this is an interesting
3: business challenge I would say on the one hand they are very quick studies they're very quick to learn and understand and their spirit is very willing they want to advance they want to be in the leadership position they want to to figure things out on the other hand they're extraordinarily proud so it's It can be a challenge to explain to them that there's another way that is arguably a better way. And in many ways, they're quite immature and inexperienced in how things could work. So to take something as simple as a free trade zone. So they're introducing lots and lots and lots of free trade zones. This is conceivably a good thing for us, especially for our supply chain, because if we're moving things from either from miami or from other foreign places through the free trade zone onto a shanghai based ship that should be a fairly straightforward process it is in other free trade zones around the world their suppliers or their freight forwarders they don't understand that that should mean that vat doesn't apply to the transaction it should just go foreign onto the ship but they're not at a place yet where that's seamless it's not explained anywhere the local authorities haven't like made the rule book i'm just picking one example here of thing uh, something that in other parts of the world is a no brainer but is a struggle for us to get across how this could be and while the chinese vacationer is extremely interested obviously to see japan and korea for just to pick two countries that are nearby the issues sort of macro politically between the countries enter into the fray in terms of um, the visa regimes between the countries and whether officers of one immigration service will be able to do an en route inspection and the understanding that if you have 10 hours in a port of call, we really can't afford to lose four hours for immigration processing. That doesn't happen in the Caribbean. This has been worked out since 50 years ago. But there, it's something that we have to explain and explain and explain. So all of this can be surmounted and will be, but you experience the infancy of things on a fairly daily basis. Sure.
2: On, on that note, I'm curious if there's, a, if there's a big current or future population of potential Chinese cruisers who would fly to a destination and embark from there? Or are these mostly people who are looking to embark in
3: China and head elsewhere? So we're very much hoping so. And we sort of view this theoretically, at least as a series of concentric circles. Um, There shouldn't be any reason, at least we can't think of any reason why in the future People from northern Chinese cities wouldn't get on a plane and fly to Singapore to cruise ASEAN region in the wintertime, unlike, just as people in Chicago, Detroit, Denver, and Toronto get on planes and fly to San Juan and Miami to take Caribbean cruises in the wintertime. The airlines are developing in a way that will support that. The airports are the greatest in the world, and it's, it's not so far away. So we would like to think that that's going to happen. Now, whether it will happen in the volumes that we're seeing out of Shanghai and Tianjin, I would say is open to question, but it could happen in enough in numbers that are sufficient to be interesting to our overall fleet deployment.
0: Um, Michael, does, does this emphasis on China's super consumers mean that other markets are getting overlooked because that that is such a popular um, and growing population, or um, is I guess is there room for everybody when you're when you're a travel company um, looking to grow your business in emerging markets?
1: Sure, I mean I, I think there's room for everybody, um, and what you want to do is you want to segment. You know, if you're um, a hotel or an airline uh, or a cruise line or a retailer um, who caters to the tourist trade, you want to segment out your mature markets and your mature opportunities from the emerging opportunities. And then once you've done that, you want to look at the emerging markets and prioritize. Uh, Right now, the biggest and um, potentially most profitable opportunity is with Chinese travelers. Um, First, we have just the sheer volume. We've mentioned that number a few times, 150 million growing to 200 million outbound. Um, But we can also look at per capita per trip spend. So today, a Chinese traveler spends on average $7,500 per capita per trip outbound. And that's number one in the world. And so if you want a little bit of comparison on that, the average American or German tourist spends about $3,000 per capita per trip. So if I'm in the business of catering to tourists who are motivated on the move and willing to spend, I'm prioritizing Chinese consumers, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm ignoring everybody else. It just has to be a proportional approach to all of your consumers.
3: And we have clearly focused on the China market as our emerging market for the time being. One could imagine that someday in the future, India would play if not the same role, something directionally similar. That's not happening yet today, but maybe it could happen there because they have a huge population and a lot of wealth generation as well, long coastlines and coastal populations. It would be nice if that would happen. And if it did, I'm sure we would figure out a way to make room for it in our mix. But right now it's sort of a combination of our more established markets and then China. And then trying to make sure that the asia pacific region develops in a way that's consistent with the the china growth that we have winter markets i should say winter market northern winter markets that complement the northern summer opportunities that we have in china proper
0: great guys this has been really interesting thank you so much for joining us today and that's a wrap